What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's helpful for you to become a saint in your walk toward eternity. Here's how the show goes. You hit me up with three to five questions dealing with anything and everything from morality to spirituality, relationship advice, prayer, catechesis, evangelization, discipleship, and the list goes on and on and on. I would then sit with your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that it's good for you to become a saint and your walk toward eternity but my disclaimer is this i'm not perfect therefore the advice that i share with you the answers and the responses i give to you might not be good for you if that is the case then please reject whatever it is that i say that does not help you to grow in your relationship with jesus but if my advice is helpful though difficult then i really want to encourage you to lean into jesus christ in prayer and study and worship and fellowship so that god can give you the graces that you may need over time to fulfill the demands of discipleship if you are a first-time listener you can hit me up with your own questions comments critiques feedback and glory stories at www.essentialpress.com ask father josh spell out a-s-k-f-a-t-h-e-r-j-o-s-h you can also rate us and review us on itunes and other podcasts formats and you can share us on your social media pages this will help other people to find out about the show if it's been a gift for you potentially it could become a gift for other people as well on today's show we are going to talk about why catholics and protestants typically have different crosses we have crucifixes they have crosses without the corpse body on it so what's the point of the difference we're also going to talk about cremation and what is allowed and what is not permitted when it comes to uh, cremating our loved ones and finally uh, we want to discuss when we forget sins in confession we go to confession and we thoroughly examine our conscience and we get there and we just forget some things sometimes and are those sins that we forgot are they forgiven or not but before we get into those really good topics i want to share with you a glory story So my glory story is this, I, um, I go to the barbershop and uh, I have two two barbers I go to. My cousin is one of my, my barbers and then a good friend of mine is a another barber. And at one of the shops that, I, that I've, I've gone to recently, the past few times I've visited have been very beautiful because whenever I go in the barbershop, everybody knows I'm a priest. I'll go on my cassock and my collar a lot of times. And, and even if I'm not in my collar, everyone at this point knows that I'm the priest. And so when I walk in, immediately the conversation turns to God, right? So I walk in the barbershop and, and everybody just begins to talk about Jesus. And so it's just been very beautiful because uh, the barbershop conversation, it can range from talk, like literally there are people in the, in the, in the shop talking about strip clubs to people talking about, um, talking about abusive relationships, or they're talking about sports, or they're talking about beef or drama or whatever. But it is so beautiful. It is so life-giving when I go in the barbershop and all of a sudden the conversation turns to Jesus and it turns to the gospel and it turns to the sacraments and we are able to, to talk about the charisma and it has just been such a gift. So I actually, I pray now before I go to the barbershop that God will permit me to have uh, life-giving conversations that will glorify the father, that will draw people in the shop who may not even be participating in the conversations that are kind of taking over the barbershop and might be inspired, might be planting seeds. And so 
in the past, I've, I've, I've asked friends to pray for me before I go just, just for the, those glory store encounters. And it becomes like church in there, y'all. It has become like the past few times I'm in the barbershop, it has become like church. We literally start singing gospel music, start talking about the Lord, start reading scriptures, start proclaiming the word, start praying over each other. It has been absolutely beautiful. And so today I was in the barbershop and without even saying anything, the, the, the barber who owns the shop went over and he turned on gospel music, some Kurt Franklin, and we started jamming out to <clears throat> melodies from heaven, hey, rain down on me, rain down on me, hey, one more time, melodies from heaven, hey, rain down on me, <clears throat> rain down on me, hey, hey, it was glorious it was so good and we just started preaching and it was y'all it is so is is i love it i just i love it i love the fact that god has invited me to be a priest i love that the holy spirit has been overshadowing those experiences and uh it's just been it's been really really beautiful and uh and my barber is just a disciple of jesus christ and even anytime somebody curses in the barbershop he's like hey 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 stop hey father's right here hey respect respect it there's, there's a priest in the, in the barbershop right now and it's just been so beautiful to, to to see what the lord can do just through our yes through our presence and uh i'm just yeah i'm so grateful for for, for the barbershop I'm, I'm so grateful for for these stories and for these memories and these opportunities to to really praise God. Like it is like we are straight up hands in the air praising God. And it, I mean, the Holy Spirit came down today in the barbershop, y'all. He came down. It was like Pentecost and I loved it. I loved every single bit of it. So that's, that's my glory story. I also got some feedback for you. My feedback is coming in from Anonymous. Anonymous says, Dear Father Josh, thank you for your life and your witness and for this podcast. There's lots of times where I find the same questions on my mind. Right here, oh, there was a song back in the early 2000s, back when One Us in Park was still like a popular show, which by the way, did y'all know I tried out to be the host of One Us in Park? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> BT. <laughs> so this is back in the day. I was at Southern University <laughs> and I, uh, me and my best friend at the time, Sam, we, we drove to Houston, Texas for tryouts and Brooke Valentine was doing the tryouts and somebody else was with her. She was a um, like a R&B singer, had one big hit. It was Girl Fight. It's about to be a what? Girl Fight. Oh, we about to throw them bows. And so she was the person who was like judging us. And um, and I did not make it by the grace of God. I did not get it. But I did try to be the host of One Us is a Park. Terrence J ended up getting it, uh, him and Roxy. And so I didn't. And I ended up going to seminary and I'm a priest. But on One Us is in Park, there was a song that was out at that time and it was by heather somebody heather she was like a a broadway singer and she the song is called in my mind i'll always be your baby and in my mind you'll always be mine too and so basically it was a song about her being a stalker essentially she was like like her and her boyfriend broke up and but in her mind they were still together and she was like i know you with somebody else right now but in my mind we're still together so the mind is a dangerous place because it can hold things that are very beautiful and it can be a place of encounter if we pray with our imagination the devil can't play with it 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 can become a place where we can pray with our imagination and enter into the gospels but it can also be a dangerous place that we should not enter into alone we should always ask the holy spirit to come with us because we don't want to live in some fantasy world Uh, that's not healthy for us or for anybody around us so back to your 
comment, <laughs> anonymous. There's a lot of times where I find the same questions on my mind right here, and I appreciate your answers. This podcast, Anastasia Press, came at a very dark time in my life when I needed to hear your words. Please keep on going, and I hope we meet someday in this life or by the grace of God in the sweet hereafter. Yeah, I would love to meet you on earth. And if it's not on earth, look, we have all eternity to be the best of friends and we have all eternity to worship God together and to intercede for everybody else who's still on earth for them to come and join us too uh, one day. So let's pray that we persevere by the grace of God and become saints who abide in relationship with Jesus on earth and forever, forever, ever, forever, ever, ever in the kingdom of heaven. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into our first question about death, specifically about cremation. All right, first question comes in from Frankie. Yo, Frankie, what's up? Frankie says this, my aunt always says that when she dies, she would like her ashes to be turned into a tree or put to sea to become a reef, something she read about. But my mom is always telling her her ashes have to be buried. Why is that the case? What does the Bible and or the catechism have to say on that matter? So this is a really, really great question. Catechism, uh, paragraph 2301 says this, that Catholics may be cremated, right? So some people used to think, oh, you can't be cremated, but you can, so long as cremation does not demonstrate a denial of belief in the resurrection of the body. So there was a time in the church where cremation was discouraged because people who were getting cremated were basically doing it, not because they financially could not afford, his funerals would be very expensive, but it wasn't because of financial reasons, it was because of a denial of the resurrection of the body. So it's kind of like a slap in the face to Christianity. And so, but pastoral reasons include reasons for cremation are that some people cannot afford to just bury somebody in the ground as they are, body and all. That becomes ashes eventually. So cremation is definitely permissible, but so long as it's not being done to deny the resurrection. Now, why is it that the church wants us to uh, not hang on to our ashes on the mantle? Why is it that the church doesn't want us to throw our ashes into uh, the sea? Why is it that the church wants us to mark the ashes with a specific place by burying them in the ground or putting them in a mausoleum or in a, what's that thing called? It's really, really beautiful. A lot of people are doing them now. They're called, ah, can't think of the name, but a few churches has it, the Abbey has them, uh, columbariums. So the church wants us to put the ashes in those places and spaces because we want people to pray for you. We, well, you might remember your aunt whenever she dies. Your mom might remember her whenever she dies. And y'all might have a beautiful like ceremony of throwing her ashes into the sea. But whenever y'all die, who's going to remember her? If she don't have a grave where her ashes are buried, who's going to pray for her? Like when she dies, she might be in purgatory for a long time. And when I say time, I don't even know what I mean by that word because time only exists on earth. But she might be in purgatory for a long whatever you want to call it outside of earth, outside of this reality. But if she's there, she's going to need us to pray for her as she experiences the purifying love of God. Remember, whenever we die, we are not perfect. And the book of Revelation says nothing unclean will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so because none of us are clean, when we die, we are purified by God's love. So either we go to heaven or hell. There's no place in between. If we go to hell, we're going to burn forever. But if we go to heaven, we have to be purified. We have to go through like a shower to be cleansed. That's what we call purgatory. That's what the book of Revelation is talking about when it says nothing unclean enters to heaven. So the blood of Christ continues to purify us even after death. 
our imperfections. But with that being said, we don't know how long that's going to take. And so uh, if you're in purgatory, you can't pray for yourself. So you need us, the body of Christ on earth, to pray for you to be continually receiving the purifying love and blood of Christ so that you could become a saint in your journey toward heaven. And so if we don't know who you are, how are we going to pray for you by name? That's why we have the blessing of holy water over the cemeteries on All Souls Day so that we can walk and we can pray through the graves, through the cemeteries, and specifically and intentionally pray for our brothers and sisters, our relatives, our ancestors by name, that they receive that purifying love of God. This expresses our faith also in the resurrection of the body, that one day our body will be resurrected as well. So we don't want to just like throw it all over the place, a little bit in the sea, a little bit in the ground, a little bit here, a little bit there. But we want to try to put it in one specific place um, so that way we can show our faith. It expresses that we have faith in the resurrection of the body. Um, and so that's why we, the church, wants us to specifically put someone in a place, in a space where it is marked. Like, so even if there's like a tree by her barrier place, right, that's beautiful as long as it's marked. Like, this is the cemetery place. This is the cemetery place of my loved one, of my aunt who passed away. Uh, and so that's the purpose of the church's teachings because we don't want people to go without prayers. The body of Christ still needs us. Whenever we, we die, like funeral masses aren't for the um, for the living it's both in. It's for the living to console each other, right? We want to be able to console each other, pray for each other, pray with each other, etc. That's good. But it's more importantly, funeral masses are for the dead. They need our prayers now more than ever. Sometimes we just assume when people die, they're already a saint in heaven. We just assume, oh, this person is a good person. They've got their wings. But we don't actually get wings um, because angels have wings. Saints don't have wings. But that's another topic. So the funeral mass, though, is efficacious, and it's efficacious, and the graces are bestowed upon those people that have persevered in their walk toward eternity, that are on their way to heaven, but are still in need of our prayers on earth uh, to accompany them in heaven, to help them to be drawn by the grace of God into that place where he desires them to be, the wedding feast of the lamb, uh, the bride and the bridegroom. So hopefully that is a sufficient answer as to as to why, as to why we, we don't recommend throwing ashes in the sea or even burying the ashes into the ground in hopes that it will turn into a tree because that tree might get cut down one day. When I became pastor at Holy Rosary, we had a bunch of beautiful trees. And now what is our Holy Family Community Courtyard? I love trees. I got plants in my room right now in the rectory where I'm living. I got plants outside. Plants are awesome. They are. I just, I, I like plants. They're great. However, the plants were kind of in the way. Like We were trying to have fellowship in our community. And so we began to cut these trees down. And some people, they get upset. I'm sorry. I apologize for offending some people. But at the end of the day, those trees meant some things to people and they got cut down. So if we like bury your aunt in the ground and hope that she like turns into a tree one day and it might be really special and the family can visit that tree, it becomes a big old tree. What happens whenever somebody comes along and cuts that tree down? And then it's kind of like, whoa, what happened? Like that's, you know, so just bury her in the ground or put her in a columbarium or mausoleum so that we can all reverence her. Uh, and again, same thing with like the mantle. It's not healthy to have her in the mantle in the living room because what happens whenever y'all die? People are gonna move in the house and just throw, that, throw the mantle away, right? People will not reverence her the way you might reverence her. So like right now you might say, well, we're praying for her now, but like, what about whenever you die? What about, you know, you know we're not promised tomorrow. So we might die tomorrow in a car accident. So then somebody's gonna move in that house and just throw the ashes away. So we need to put her in a place in a space that she can be reverenced because she's still a uh, member of the body of Christ, even in her death. Speaking of the body of Christ, let's talk about Jesus Christ and his body that is on the cross in many most 
hopefully all Catholic churches around the world. Uh, this is from Christopher. Uh, Christopher, that was also the name of one of my other best friends growing up. We have a lot of memories together. We used to play basketball together, uh, me and Chris. Man, that was like, that was my, that was my, my dude. And yeah, Chris is my dude. I've not seen him in a very long time. Uh, we've just gone down different paths in life. But um, yeah, man, I've, I've always had a lot of love for Chris. He was just, he was a good, good friend to me. A lot of memories, a lot of memories. So this comes in from Christopher about different crosses. Hey, Father Josh, I've been into Catholic and Protestant churches, homes, and noticed that most Protestants have crosses without Jesus is crucified, just plain crosses. Uh, and Catholic places have always seen crosses with Jesus crucified. Is there a difference between a plain cross and a crucified cross? Christopher, yeah, great, great, great question. So I remember when I was, uh, who, what was that, in middle school, high school, middle school, high school, maybe high school, ninth grade. I remember a girl who used to be Catholic, but started going to a, an evangelical community, which was very anti-Catholic, this particular one. Not all evangelical communities are anti-Catholic. This one was, she came with me one day in class, and I used to wear a cross with the crucifix, right, with, with the body of Jesus on it. And she said, why do you Catholics always do that? Like, Jesus Christ died, and he rose from the dead. He's not, he's not on the cross anymore, so why are y'all doing that? And I didn't know what to say to her then. I didn't know scripture back then, so I didn't know. I was like, I don't know, I, just, I think it looks cool. But really, we do it because St. Paul says, we preach Jesus Christ crucified, right? A bare cross, a cross without the body of Christ on it has no value unless we are, unless we are razor sharp, crystal clear about that this cross that I'm wearing is a cross of Christ. Otherwise, it's just like walking around with an a, a execution chair, chair, right? Electric chair around your neck, right? Because that's what the cross was. It was it was something that many people were killed on. I mean, Peter died on the cross. The two thieves, Dismas, died on the cross. The other thief, whose name we don't know, who was not a saint and is not a canonized saint, he died on a cross. So a cross was what a lot of people died on. So how do we know your cross that you're wearing, if it doesn't have the body of Christ on it, is a cross that's representing Christianity or just a cross representing death and killing people, right? So a lot of times, some people in our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, they get uncomfortable that we Catholics have a devotion to the crucifix, right? Which is a sacramental that depicts the corpus, the corpus, the corpus Christi means the body of Christ, the body of Christ on the cross. And they just don't understand like, why do we have this on the crosses? And it's because St. Paul tells us to. St. Paul says, we preach Jesus Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and fathers of the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, Right? It is Jesus Christ crucified who we must preach at all times. A cross without Christ is just a cross, but a cross that has Christ on it, it is clear that this is something that will draw us to remember how he saved us, that he died for us, how much he loves us, that his love is free. No one forced him to go there. It was total. He gave everything. Uh, it was fruitful. It was a faithful love. Satan encouraged him to get off and he refused to get off for us. And so it gives us an image of love that we can imitate and we can say, I can do the same thing, arms wide open, loving everybody. So it is important that we have Jesus on the cross. And if we have a cross without Christ, I'm not saying they're bad, but it's important to then explicitly say, this is why I'm wearing the cross. Whereas if you have the corpus on the cross, you don't have to always explicitly say it with words because the image itself will tell people who you are trying to be in relationship with. Whereas if you don't have Christ on it, it could literally just be seen as someone who's wearing a tool that was used to kill people. Um, many, many Years ago, St. Paul says in Galatians, far be it from me to glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 6, 14. 
So, yeah, it's just important that we always know why we do what we do. And the significance of like people seeing a cross can convert people when it has Jesus on it. This would happen with some saints, like St. Joseph Makita, when she saw the body of Christ on the cross and she saw the crucified image of Christ on the cross with his wounds and all, it was the first time in her life she saw someone else whose body looked like hers. She had scars too. She had wounds too. She's like, who is this? This is amazing. I'm not alone. If it was just a bare cross that she saw, she would have been like, okay, like what's that? Right. But because it had Jesus on there, it was able to be used by the Lord to draw her to a deeper intimacy with her bridegroom, with Jesus Christ. So, Hopefully that was helpful. We're going to dive into our final question, uh, which is about confession when we return from the break. Imagine this. You're walking down the street and a Christian at a table with a bunch of pamphlets asks you, have you been saved? What would you do? Would you know how to respond? Hi, I'm Dr. Andrew Swafford, and I'm co-presenter along with Jeff Cavins in Ascension's new great adventure Bible study, Romans, the Gospel of Salvation. In this study, we teach you the biblical foundations for the Catholic teaching on salvation, how to explain salvation quickly and easily to non-Christians, what St. Paul really meant by works not leading to salvation, and how we can enter more deeply into Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans has been at the center of reflection, conversion, and controversy from the very beginning, and it's widely considered his greatest work. I invite you to start a small group in your home or parish and embark on this great adventure. To order, visit ascensionpress.com. And we're back. Quick reminder, you can hit me up with your own questions at www.ascensionpress.com slash askfatherjosh. You can also rate us and review us on iTunes and you can share us on your social media pages. This will help other people to find out about the show. If it's been good for you, it could be good for them. I think right now we are at 4 million plus downloads. So your sharing of the show has been bearing uh, much fruit in our community around the world. All right, final question is about confession. These are my confessions. Just when I thought I said everything I could say, I had more to say because I kept sinning. So Anonymous writes this, hey, Father Josh, I am a new Catholic convert at the age of 34, and I made my first confession. I forgot my list, and I completely froze and choked during my confession. The silence and inability to speak scared me because there was a line waiting, and I heard people get mad if you take too long. I managed to say three things and can't honestly remember what they were. The priest absolved me, but should I bring my list next time or were my sins I didn't say absolved? I know I'm likely to struggle with scrupulosity, so I'm really trying to not let the devil keep bringing my past sins to light. Any advice? Great, great question. So I actually bring a list. When I go to confession and I go once a week, I write down my sins on my notepad on my cell phone. Um, And then after I go to confession, clearly I delete that particular note on my cell phone. Uh, so that way I know as I examine my conscience, and I, can, and I can also get in there and get out. Like I don't have to sit in there for 30 minutes or an hour, give them stories as to why I did what I did. I just say what I did, right? Um, I don't need to like defend myself or give them any background to the situation. So it's important that we say number in kind when we go to confession. And if you forgot, um, if you like legit forgot the sin, then, but you intended to say it, but you just forgot, then you're, you are absolved. Um, if it was venial, you don't have to go bring it back to confession ever again, because also uh, Eucharist wipes it away, the absolution wiped it away. So, But if it was mortal, next time you go to confession, then bring it up. So you're conditionally forgiven for it, conditionally, but you do need to bring it up next time you go to confession. But you are not considered it to be in a state of mortal sin. Again, mortal sin has three things. Uh, it was grave matter. You, you knew what you were doing and you were free to do it. So 
All right, that's mortal sin. There are mortal sins, deadly sins. John, First John writes about this. There are some sins that are deadly, some are not deadly. The word deadly means mortal, not deadly means venial. So if it was just venial, don't worry about it. If it was mortal sins, then bring it up next time. But you are not currently in mortal sin because you legit did not know. You really did forget. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church and in Can Law, I will quote you what they say. First Catechism 1456 says this, when Christ faithful strive to confess all the sins that they can remember, they undoubtedly place all of them before the divine mercy for pardon. But those who fail to do so and knowingly withhold some place nothing before the divine goodness for remission through the mediation of the priest. So basically, if you intentionally withhold something, you're not forgiven. So confession incomplete. Uh, so, but if you just legit forgot, then you are forgiven conditionally, so much so as you bring it to confession in the future. Code of Canon Law says, a member of the Christian faithful is obliged to confess in kind and in number all grave sins committed after baptism and not yet directly remitted through the keys of the church, nor acknowledge an individual confession of which one is conscience after diligent examination of conscience. So say you also like maybe like 30 years from now, remember something that you did when you were 16 and it was grave matter and you knew what you were doing was wrong when you were doing it and you freely chose to do it, then just bring it up, right? Because you legit did not know about it when you went to confession in the past. So just bring it up again, but don't not receive communion because you remember something from the past that you did not remember when you intentionally went to confession in uh, previous uh, seasons of life. So if you remember the grave sin, just mention it the next time you go, uh, but don't let the enemy lie to you. The Lord loves you. The Lord delights in you. The Lord uh, is so in awe of you and proud of you and grateful that you are receiving this gift of his mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation. Speaking of confession, me and Father Mike Schmitz wrote a book on the sacrament of reconciliation. It's called A Pocket Guide to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. You can get it at essentialpress.com. And that could also help you with your examination of conscience as you prepare to go to confession in the future. With that being said, let's pray and uh and then we will wrap up and I'll see you next week. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Ah, Father God, we love you. We adore you. We worship you. We honor you. Thank you so much for the gift of this day, the gift of our lives, and the gift of the saints who precede us in our walk toward eternity. I ask that you give us the grace to call to mind those particular saints who are praying for us right now, who are praying for us that we receive your mercy and confession, that we persevere in our relationship with you in the Eucharist, that we abide in relationship with you in Scripture, and that we imitate you in our service to our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. Specifically right now, I perceive Sister Thea Bowman um, and uh, St. Joseph Makita with me right now, praying for me. And so potentially that might be praying for some of our listeners. If that is the case, then praise God for those two beautiful witnesses of faith who have preceded us in our relationship with you. May we imitate them in their faith, in their perseverance, in their love of God and love of church and our walk toward eternity. We ask this prayer through Christ our Lord. All right, y'all. God bless. I will see you in the Eucharist and hopefully I'll see you in heaven. <laughs>